Theory Podcast. All right. Uh, welcome to Creative Theory Podcast, the show that brings you conversations with visual artists about how they got to where they got, what their day-to-day is like, what their struggles are, thoughts in the art world, and a lot, a lot more. Today on the podcast, uh, episode 46, got someone who wears many hats. He's a comic book artist, layout artist, illustrator, who now works as a senior storyboard uh, and concept artist at Rad Games. Uh, John cool. Lamb, welcome on the show. Hey, happy to be here. <laughs> uh, was that a pretty accurate description of yourself? Do you usually, like when you introduce yourself, do you add more or less of those descriptions? Uh, I, just say, I just say storyboard artist now, but layout thing was like something I, I like to keep in the past. <laughs> You don't I mean, want to go uh, back to it? <clears throat> no, no. It was just like, I think it was like mo- one of my first um, gigs in animation to move over to Vancouver. And like, I quickly learned that I did not like it. And then I left it in four months. So. And uh, is it just because like, uh, I mean, a lot of line work, I'm assuming you're looking at boards and translating the designs, which part was uh, not something that clicked with you? Um, All of it. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like I, I'm definitely more of like a character storytelling guy. And like in layout art, it was just you're just kind of like following, you know, certain key art, and then you're drawing the thing in different angles, and that was just it was not creative at all. So to the uh, same yeah. style, and usually deadlines are super tight too, right? Deadlines are super tight. Um, you know, productions, uh, you know, always making sure you're meeting your quotas. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm glad to be out of that uh, in that racket. Nice. So for those. Uh... People who do follow John, they know you've been very active um, in the world of AI art and f- fighting that fight. Uh, there's even just, I don't know, last couple of even weeks, but months, there's been a lot of development. And I would imagine for most people who are visual artists and maybe even not, uh, they've been seeing a lot of conversations, but especially in our world, I think it's pretty relevant. And I do want to get there, but I think I want to start with your background. And in fact, I think it actually will contribute to this conversation because I think as we talk and learn about your path and what it took to get to where you are, you know, it is years and years effort and time put into it. I think it'll actually likely be a very good case for, you know, maybe the danger, not the dangers, but like uh, the arguments that are uh, happening right now around AI art. I think it's all going to be very relevant. So if you don't mind, I think we'll get started there. Sure. Well, um, I guess I guess to start like... um... You know, when I was growing up, I was all about comic book art, and, and that was my dream to be a comic book artist. And, you know, I, I really, really worshipped uh, Todd McFarlane and Spawn. You know, I, I did lots of projects on him in school, maybe maybe too many projects on him. <laughs> I was, was quite <laughs> was quite obsessed. Uh, you know, I always dreamed about uh, being a Marvel comic artist uh, one day as well. And, you know, I went to art school for that, um, got a degree in illustration. And um, after I... I graduated from OCAD, you know, it was very hard for me to find a job and I spent a lot of, spent a lot of years actually not being able to, to get employed. So I was doing lots of, you know, internships, free gigs and really small um, paying freelance jobs. And then eventually I went to uh, animation for a year in Sheridan. And then uh, I learned what I needed to from a life drawing teacher called Thurman, who basically kind of unlocked things in my mind where I was able to just, um, finally figure out anatomy in a way that was like beneficial to me um so i took that knowledge and i basically just dropped out that year and then i got (laughs) (laughs) i I advise that to everybody go to art school for one year learn what you need to then then bounce um and then i you know got a job in animation doing concept art um at arc for multiple uh, properties and then just kind of went from there there's something, and I've heard that name from the, that of that shared instructor. There, I don't know about yourself. You I mean you've been in the industry for a while. I, I find that 
uh, and I also was working in Vancouver, British Columbia for quite a long time. But I've noticed that the the great there's a lot of good artists that came out of Sheridan. I, I keep mentioning to every artist that I see from Sheridan. There's been a couple on this podcast, but um, and I've heard that instructor's name. But it's interesting that how that certain environment and then the right people, I suppose, in the end, it really is the right people, not so much institution that um, I think make great great artists. Like, does that sound correct? Have you seen many people from the same school around in your field? Oh, for sure. Um, it's kind of scary, actually. Like, you know, you hear Cal Arts, you hear Art Center, but everybody who's Canadian is from Sheridan, which is kind of crazy. And yeah. to me, it is kind of a, I don't know if you look at that that way, but it, it, it's a little bit sad or scary that it is a bit of a lottery in that case that if you knew about it, if you could go to it, you're all of a sudden your chances of potentially, you know, getting the job or leveling up or having that thing click that you're describing, it is really affected by... Because I usually I like to believe and I want to believe that, you know, if you were going to put into the work, put in the work and even if you did online classes or you didn't go to the university, you can mm -hmm. do it. And I think that still rings true. But there's certain steps, right? I wouldn't call it a shortcut, but there's certain advances you can take by meeting the right person in the right time in your, in your path or career education. Oh, for sure. I, I, I feel like, you know, everybody has that one instructor in their lives that kind of just made things click for some reason. Mm -hmm. You know, and so also sometimes it's just kind of um, the people who you're surrounded with, right? Everybody has a similar goal. Everyone has like similar vibes. And you, it's also like, you know, iron sharpening iron. You know, you also feel a bit of like friendly competition and everyone sees like, oh, this person did this. Oh, God, like, I hate that guy. Oh, now I'm going to do my <laughs> thing, right? And like in, in the end, it's all like friendly competition. And then everyone everyone is better for it, right? So I, I will say like like I did spend a long time trying to learn everything on my own, you know, like listening to podcasts, you know, watching lots of YouTube tutorials and all that. And for for some reason, something just wasn't clicking, right? And sometimes you just need that person to look over your shoulder and be like, oh, actually, if you think of it this way, maybe maybe it'll help you um, draw faster or maybe you'll understand anatomy better, right? And, and sometimes it's just that one suggestion from that person who can pinpoint your mistakes and then correct you on the spot, right? And then that, that kind of sticks with you forever. Yeah. I have for the longest time uh, <clears throat> really been trying to chase uh, being surrounded by people who are so much better than me uh, to try to get as much of that as possible. And I mean, mostly in career sense, but I guess like I, I think friends as well. And I feel lucky that those people do exist. But I, I found it sometimes hard um, in the animation field, at least uh, where I was like to try to get as many of those people in one room po as possible. And uh, maybe around while we we're on this topic, as you know last two three years of the pandemic and working from home have you found this lack or is there availability of the right people looking at your work and being able to be there to point you to um, ways to get better as you know we're not in person anymore and i don't think i don't know if that's mm -hmm. the only way but um what do you think about this point you're making about someone helping you out while working remote how have you found that i think it's definitely harder um to improve, you know, when we're working remote, but I will say like, like it really depends on how, how hard you chase the, the community, right? There are, there are discords out there where like there are storyboard artists who can kind of share resources with each other, share their work in progresses. Uh, when I was working at Blizzard, you know, our, our team was pretty tight and, you know, we would share stuff with each other all the time and we would share our favorite movies, favorite films, we would have like movie nights. And, you know, we would always show our work in progresses to each other, the director and supervisor and stuff. And we always jammed on it. So, like, in, I think in that way, I definitely learned a lot from my coworkers. 
but it really depends on the community because I know every company is different. Yeah, it's so true. And then your friend circle, that's one thing <clears throat> I like to believe that it's still possible to be able to get any kind of guidance you want, even from a distance. And in some ways you can actually access artists who you may actually never meet in person. Right. Mm -hmm. So but you're right. I guess in the end, and potentially again, another uh, analogy to going to, to the school, like it's the effort you put into or the questions that you ask maybe. Um, yeah. I like to believe that it's possible regardless of the distance. So uh, just me. No, I, I think it's possible too. I mean, like, you know, if you, if you pay to go to school, but you constantly skip your classes, right. Then, then it's useless to you. Right. So it's the same thing. I mean, I think a large degree of it is like you, you get what you put in, you know, but you have to ask the right questions that you have to ask the right questions and you also have to find the right community of people to help you. Right. You don't want to be surrounded by people who, you know, constantly look up to you and like, you know, you, they, they can't offer you critiques, only you offer them critiques, right? Then that's a one-way uh, relationship, right? You want to be in a community where you guys can offer each other tips and help each other grow. For sure. Maybe last question about kind of education in school uh, before we get on to another topic. But I would be curious, since you already mentioned you kind of your recommendation for people to do one year of school and drop out. <laughs> if, if, yeah. if, if someone is listening right now and they're, you know, maybe about to start um, pursuing art education or maybe they're in the middle of it. Uh, as a kind of is, is is that the advice or is there anything else that you you could suggest to them having gone through this? Um, I will say that you know definitely uh, put yourself out there, you know like post on social media. I know it's a little bit difficult with all the scraping stuff going on right now. We'll get into that later, <laughs> but I will, <laughs> but I will say like you know posting your art on Instagram or social media actually is a way for people to form communities. And I would say like that has actually been one of the strongest uh, strongest art communities I've been in uh, social media, like Instagram. Um, sorry, I kind of lost track of my, my train of thought there. But um, I, I would just recommend for people to really put themselves out there, open themselves up to critique. Um, also, you know, study study your favorite artists, really try to break, uh, break down what you like about them, what they're doing right. And just realize that, you know, everybody's learning. So don't be too precious about, you know, getting critiqued or trying to be perfect. Do you have any kind of mind tricks or things that you do to try to be present in social media while try to kind of fight the dopamine rush or, or the, the, cause you know, sometimes it comes with it of like feeling like, Oh no, I have to post. Sometimes you see artists saying online and I think we, I may have discussed on the podcast before, but people say, Hey, sorry, I haven't posted in a while. It's like, where are you? Like, do you find, do you find a way to be very healthy with it? Uh, I don't know if there's advice for that. Yeah, I guess it's like mindful posting, not to sound too uh, hippy dippy about it. But, um, you know, before you have that urge to draw a post, you kind of have to ask yourself why you're doing it. You know, am I drawing for the sake of posting something in a hurry? Or am I posting because I actually like what I did and I want to show people? And am I, am I drawing for the joy of it? Or am I drawing for those likes and, you know, the, the dopamine rush and the clout, right? Yeah. And um, I definitely, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, yeah, you're saying. Yeah, I've definitely been. I feel like I've had to. I, I, I'm happy to say I'm much better at it, but there was a little moment I remember where I had to make work and kind of throw it in a folder somewhere on purpose to get rid of the feeling like this is to be <laughs> uploaded somewhere. And this is yeah. like how my brain works, and then I'm, maybe I'm more prone to that kind of feel good addiction thing. But I, I really had to, as you're saying. I guess if the question is I'm making work so I can post it so I can share it, it felt like while I, I, there's partly that's a good motivation. I personally 
want to make artwork so others can experience it. I, I, I feel like mm. it's not exactly complete if it's sitting in the dark, but I had to make myself make work and have it not go anywhere to try to get rid of the desire that it's, you know, it's only real if it's out there. That's true. And, and you know, that is that is also true. I will say it is it is only real when it's out there because, I mean, you can have the greatest um, piece on the planet. Right. But if you don't share it, then it doesn't exist and it, you can't get all the benefits from it. Like, you know, either connections or, you know, oh, some pats on the back, which I, which we all need. All, all artists crave this. You <laughs> yeah, know, my, yeah. I, I myself am, am totally guilty of this. Um, you know, and I will say, like, you have to look at the big picture. Right. And the big picture is we're all on social media to build community and we're also all on social media to be visible right and being visible means you know an easier time being employed right so mm -hmm. like let's say like the inktober thing right like mm -hmm. i was totally <clears throat> i was totally uh, on the inktober hype train and you know there were there was a time i think 2018 or yeah 2018 or 17 where i was like okay this year i'm gonna finally do it right and like i i didn't hit every day but i busted my ass and i probably hit like every two days um, and it, it changed my career actually. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, yeah it, it's crazy. And like, you know, there was, there were some days where I didn't want to do it, but I kind of forced myself and some days where I forced myself to do it, I actually came up with some of the best pieces for some reason. I, I don't know what it was like. I think when you're tired and you're kind of not thinking too hard about it, you kind of just let loose and just let it rip. Yeah. And, and I, and I will say sometimes it's good to just let it rip. And you know, like if people don't like it, fuck it. If people like it, <laughs> cool. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, if the end goal is to, you know, uh, get, get more following, you know, get more visibility so that you can have a better time, uh, finding work out there, then I say go for it too. And, you know, if you're, if you're serving that bigger picture, then you're meeting your goals. Mm -hmm. For yourself, do you find good separation or do you need that separation between artwork that benefits career versus artwork that is just you? I guess, or do you do you find that the kind of artwork that you enjoy, as you were saying in the beginning, you know, starting from the comic books, is that you, the art that you enjoy is always fitting in, into that realm, so there doesn't need to be a competition or separation? Um, I think I've definitely started gearing more of my personal work towards more of the work I want to get, right? Like, when I was really interested in comics, I posted a lot of comic book pages because I wanted to get more comic work. Mm -hmm. um, but then now I'm just kind of, I'm just posting more storyboards because I, I'm like completely in love with the process and, and, you know, the, my profession, I guess. And I, and I do want to push those boundaries and learn more about film and whatnot and, you know, start having conversations with other people about film and, and learn more from them. So like for me, I, I I'm very like purpose driven when I'm drawing. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. I want to be like, you know, I'm thinking about like, what, what do I want to get out of this? Do I want to learn more? Do I want to build connections? Or do I just want to come up with a nice piece and have some compliments and then move on, right? So, I mean, yeah. there's 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 time for both. Sometimes I might do a, a nice ink drawing just because I I felt like doing inks, and I and I didn't really care about serving a higher purpose of you know showing how how cool I can storyboard, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I think there's a place for both, and I and I think maybe everyone should just um, you know uh, explore every curiosity they have, right? Like especially after you. Um, after you start getting your foot in the door and you have your profession, the profession set, you can start exploring more and having more fun. Cause I know like, you know, for a lot of beginners, you know, if you're doing background art and you, and then you're doing prop art and then you're doing character art, uh, art, and then you're doing like a 3d model, um, potential employers will be very confused as to what you want to do. Yeah. And, and you might end up being employed for something you don't want to do, which is even worse. Right. So, yeah. 
can't remember where that's from, but it's like, do the work that you want to work on or something like that. I think there's a oh. quote somewhere out there that, you know, it's as so, it seems so redundant, but it, redundant, but it's so true. And I think often makes sense maybe that students would focus on the kind of artwork that they think will hire them and then eventually realize to make the kind of artwork they'll, they like to do. And I think both are fair. I think, yeah. as you said, first job matters a lot. That's right. Um, to what you just said, uh, maybe it kind of poses a question. If you didn't have to work or make a living, how different uh, would this creative pursuit look like? Um, I think I would still do animatics, actually, because they are a great proof of concept for short films. Mm. And I'm working my way um, onto, uh, you know, working on a short film like uh, I aspire to direct. So that's kind of where I'm heading towards. But I also have a lot of um, stories that I write with my fiance that we would love to put into graphic novels. And I would just love to just sit down and just do comics, um, you know, all day long as well. <laughs> I hope I hope I hope you can make it happen. I, it's always you know that's like the most true to heart. So probably is the most interesting kind of work that uh, one can create. I hope that works out. I'm curious. I was looking at your LinkedIn. It seems like on a couple of projects, even right now, it says that you do storyboarding and concept art. So I'm very curious about how that came about and what is what kind of split do you get, and do you know many other people doing it like that? Um, I don't know too many other people doing this. It's it's kind of a, I've kind of fallen into this weird thing where like, you know, I storyboard for cinematics, I storyboard for animation, and I also storyboard to help with game mechanics, and I also do some character designs every now and then. So it's it's a couple of mixed bags, but I think it's just because you know, as I was growing up, I was kind of interested in multiple things like you know, character design, um, turnarounds, comics, and storytelling, and to some degree, they're all they're all related. You know, mm. and sometimes doing character designs will help you inform your storyboards or your your comics. So, would you would you say that? And maybe that's what you said, but maybe I re reiterating. <laughs> but like, would you say that the having that background in comic books basically set you up and gave you the, those basics and the understanding of form to do anything drawing based at this point? Yeah, I'll say like comic books are, are a phenomenal foundation to have because you know you you understand staging. You understand composition, you understand uh, storytelling, you understand uh, backgrounds, environments, um, you know, drawing multiple people in one scene, uh, people interacting with objects, yeah. um, you know, just all those things together. And then um, I would say like, like learning how to draw comics actually opens up a lot of jobs, right? That's how I ended up getting, you know, getting work in background layout, which was a mistake, but, you know, I got that job anyway, <laughs> um, you know, also lends itself to, you know, storyboarding and character design, you know, they're all related. Awesome. Yeah. I guess you're saying that first job was a mistake, but maybe a <laughs> worthy mistake put you on the right path, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I say it's a mistake, but sometimes you need to do jobs you don't want to do so that you know you don't want to do them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. 100%. Um, and then another thing I was like that stood out to me is on your, I guess it's resume, but it said you're co creator and artist of, of an IP that you worked on at Skybound. Is that, a, is that something announced? And else, can you talk about that? I'm just curious about how that came about and what that experience was because, you know, everyone dreams about creating an IP and making it happen. Sure. Um, yeah, I can talk about this. I actually haven't talked about this officially yet, but um, basically it was a comic that me and my fiance made called Super Punchy Girl. Mm -hmm. And at the time when we, when we pitched it to Skybound, we actually got greenlit for it. But we were like very green writers, you know, and we were working with um, five editors. Some of them were Eisner winners at the time to help us write. And it was almost it was called uh, Skybound Labs, which was a program where the editors help you uh, learn how to write. And we wrote so many drafts 
and a lot of bad drafts, <laughs> like I'll say. <laughs> and like it kind of just got to the point where um, like it just wasn't working out because I think we still had to grow. So mm-hmm. now like we're like me and my fiance are definitely more confident as writers. It's, it's been a couple of years since then, and we're we're still planning on releasing it uh, independently, maybe through Image Comics. But I'm I'm kind of at a place right now where like I I feel confident in what we're writing. And I'm still deciding on whether to like hire a, an artist to draw this or to find some time into drawing this comic. Like, like I said, I would love to draw this comic, but like with the whole um, AI thing, it's just been very hard to find time to uh, like outside of work. Yeah, before we started this, uh, John was telling me how the fighting AI has basically become a part-time job that just takes too much time now. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I need to really pull myself away from it. But then, you know, then you see this article and that article, and then this person saying that person, you're like, oh, God, people need to know. And then, you know, you just, yeah. you're out there educating people and fighting the fight. Is it, yeah. Would you describe it like that? Yeah, wagging my finger, you know. You got to tell them. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I guess, because it is so new, there's so much. Uh, I guess you get so many fascinating and sometimes infuriating comments from so many sites. It, I think you're you're posting some pretty good mean ones out there. At least I have noticed <laughs> on your Instagram, there's some rough ones. Yeah, I mean, I've been um, I've been getting some terrible comments and trolls and every now and then, but like I, I usually post them to show like really popular talking points that are really easy to debunk, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of funny because like I feel like no matter how many times I debunk them, there's always someone who who like comes out of the woodwork, repeats that talking point as if they were the first person to say it. I'm like, no, I've, I've debunked this for the 50th time, but here's your, here's an article. What you want to do this right now, actually. So maybe for people who haven't been paying attention as much, or, I mean, it, it feels like it, there, there's a lot of conversation and I don't know if it's, there's a singular one. So, and maybe they're never I mean maybe just cause it's internet, but do you want to talk about a couple of main, what are the things that need to be debunked are the main things that people need to know about AI art and maybe why they should watch out for it? Sure. I mean, a, a common talking point is like people think that uh, AI thinks the same way that people do. And uh, that's not that's simply not true. Like a lot of neurologists don't even fully understand how the human brain works or how we create uh, creativity. So I wouldn't expect an AI uh, tech specialist to know either. And I also read an article recently, I think from MIT, basically saying that, well, there's only 10 minutes left, basically saying that a lot of neural networks are um, based on results uh, from studies done from the human brain and that a lot of uh, specialists who are working on neural networks all, are also biased and they gear re- results towards their findings towards what they found for the human brain. So it's like it's still a lot of studies that are out there that are haven't confirmed that neural networks and the human brain work the same way. So people confirming that they know for a fact is uh, is not true. Hmm. And um, um, I guess yeah. I, I guess something else is that people think that like people don't believe that AI is unethical currently. Mm-hmm. And usually people who are telling us this are people who are not artists, like people who've just started doing AI art for like a month or two. And all of a sudden are telling artists what art is. And, mm-hmm. you know, and like these people aren't, aren't as experienced as we are. And we know where all this training data comes from, right? It comes from the internet. It's been scraped, you know, 5.6 billion pieces of data uh, and image um, information have been scraped from the internet. And mm-hmm. a lot of it, uh, like a lot of the art that we're seeing from AI programs is coming directly from all of us, you know, all, every artist who's ever posted online ever. And 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 I guess to that point, do you see like, <clears throat> the people who are maybe are aware of it? Do you see why they're kind of fighting back? Oh, as in like, if you were to, is there an argument to be taken from their side? Like, can you understand, or is there even uh, to understand why 
they're not seeing this kind of, you know, people are talking about the, the theft and why it's, people think it's normal or it's normalized. Well, I think a lot of people are kind of misinterpreting um, the difference between inputting data and inspiration, right? Yeah. Like I've explained this a couple of times, but you know, when, when humans are inspired, you know, we, we look at an image, we retain some of the information and then we use our previous experiences from, you know, from our past life to fill in the gaps and to make something, right? So let's say, for example, I looked at a Picasso for like an hour and then I walked away and he told me to paint a Picasso. It wouldn't be a one-for-one -one Picasso, right? It would maybe look inspired by a Picasso, but then I would have all my other sensibilities to fill in the gaps. Whereas if you were to, you know, show, um, like ask an AI image generator to generate something from Picasso, it would draw directly from the data, like one for one, plus mixed in with other information according to your prompts. And like I've read, I've read some um, um, some statements coming from AI uh, tech specialists on Discord, basically saying that sometimes the like the generative output isn't an output that's inspired by the input. It is it is literally the input, but just denoised and then and then renoised into a different configuration. But it is still data that was inputted into it. And I think you've posted a couple of examples where it's exactly like that. You can kind of tell it's it's a one-to-one -one or mirrored flip. Or in a, uh, for anyone curious, I think you can see. And those are, I suppose, they become blatant examples of what actually is happening. Uh, you know, maybe on, like, it, everything else maybe on smaller scale and more diffused. But that, that is an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, and um, what's also interesting is that uh, there's also AI technology that's being built to combat AI art, right? So it's like using AI to fight AI. <laughs> where where these technologies are basically developed to break down generatives to track down the source of, uh, source data, mm -hmm. so yeah. it's like it's like a reverse image Google search but for AI, which is also being developed. Uh, the, the the crazy online AI battle is about to ensue, and already has. I yeah. guess it, it maybe kind of at the same time we're seeing the the writing AI is happening, and then there's like AI created to find out if it's been written through AI. <laughs> yeah, like that. I forgot where this kid was from. I think, was he from MIT or something? I'm, I'm not yeah, sure, but it, it so. was a, he was a kid who I think was probably getting tired of seeing his classmates submit, um, you know, chat GPT essays. And he was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to stop this right now. <laughs> I'm glad there's people who are that smart that can just, if they, if they will it, they make it happen. Oh, yeah, for Pretty sure, amazing. man. This is what happens when you have um, tech specialists who are also, um, you know, concerned about ethics, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very thankful for those people. ArchStation recently sent an email uh, where it feels like, you know, an email from a month ago looked quite different from what they're doing now. Yes. <laughs> so as we're discussing, you know, you know, AI art and ArchStation being... You know, at a certain point after, I guess, CG Society, I can't remember, after a couple of websites, they've become the one, you know, they kind of become the main space. I feel like maybe after DeviantArt, I'm not sure the presence of CG Hub went down. Yeah, CG Hub, that's right. So they became the main presence. I mean, one of the bigger platforms online for digital artists, especially artists in the entertainment industry. And uh, maybe uh, we can chat about this as well. I don't know if you want to catch people up because I know you're pretty, like you're pretty active. You're paying attention to how like their first response and what happened since. I don't know if you want to talk about that as well. Um, I can't remember their first TOS. There's been so much information since then, but I just know that um, um, they were using some kind of no AI tag, which didn't work to help, you know, quote unquote, protect artists. But, you know, like a lot of um, artists started protesting against ArtStation because the marketplace was filled with um, AI 
assets being sold, you know, and like oddly, oddly licensed, like unlicensed um, assets, but with licensed characters, right? Like we saw oh, well. two, 200 Batman um, AI generators being sold for like 299 and then the Avatar ones, you know, just like a whole bunch of crazy stuff. And um, all of us were like, you know, alerting ArtStation being like, basically, you guys have a lot of bootleg assets being sold on your marketplace. You need to stop this. You know, what's your stance on AI? And um, again, I can't quote Tim Sweeney or ArtStation specifically, but it just seemed like what they were saying was very like obtuse and kind of like, we. it just sounded like they weren't really against AI at all. Mm. But then on their, um, on their own uh, terms of service where they were talking about their own uh, mega scans and some of their own assets and metahumans they were very against AI machine learning uh, learning <laughs> off of their own their own property right so we just thought that was very hypocritical and we called that out um, and we were hoping that they would have a terms of service update or some kind of change or something from Tim Sweeney to address these issues but you know nothing nothing happened you know a whole bunch of bootleg assets were still being sold in the marketplace but then couple days ago after the lawsuit was announced from the Joseph Severi law firm um, you know with the, the, the defendants Midjourney, um, Stability AI and DeviantArt uh, after that got announced um, I saw that uh, Tim, Tim Sweeney actually retweeted my tweet um, and was commenting on it directly and was basically saying um, that he was not aware of what was happening sure. on our station yep sure <laughs> <laughs> and that he was going to update his terms of service so, you know, that raised a lot of eyebrows, um, you know, call it what you will. Uh, and now here we are with this updated terms of service uh, here where he's basically saying no to AI and no to um, generative assets being sold on the marketplace. Yeah, right? I guess for for those, if you are subscribed, if you uh, have an account, I mean, I have a thing in front of me, but it's, yeah, it says we've updated our terms of service to make clear that scraping and reselling or redistributing content is not permitted. And to clarify the prohibition against the use of no AI content with generative AI programs. And then it says, let's see, we have also committed not to use or license any third party to use any art station content for the purpose of training generative AI programs. And that's like, that's been from the start. I think one of the big things that people are asking for is that this is like, this is free money for anyone out there who's going to use AI, right? Like this is free content to scrape from. And actually, yeah. Does it make you feel like the fact that you're seeing this response and everything else, and maybe it's kind of the, the cynic in me, but it's basically unless someone's money is affected, they're not going to do anything about it. And now, well, you're seeing action potentially because just, you know, now, now the business is in danger or something. Like I know, like it is such a cynical thing. And, you know, like um, I think a lot of us were really hoping that, you know, if we, you know, we came together and we're just, you know, nice about it and, you know, kind of address the issues publicly, that things would change. Um, and they didn't, you know, and nobody was listening to us. And a lot of people were gaslighting us and especially on LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is terrible for this. But um, <laughs> as, as soon as the lawsuit got announced, that's that's all of a sudden when for some reason it legitimized our concerns. You know, it's like, oh, mm -hmm. maybe these artists have a point, you know, and then everybody started taking a step back. Um, and the thing is, once you look into who the law firm is, the Joseph Zuri law firm, mm -hmm you'll see that they're the same law firm that is um, involved with the GitHub lawsuit mm -hmm. and that they've previously won over $4 billion in rewards and settlements. So these guys are no joke, right? And I think once people realize that, they're like, okay, well, you know, if artists really didn't have any case at all, 
then why is this law firm worth over four billion taking on this case? Right. Mm -hmm. When you put two and two together, you're like, oh shit, maybe we need to rethink our terms of service and start um, backtracking this a little. Mm -hmm. There's a, I, I've heard before, maybe it's like a, an argument to be said that anything that has been online has already been potentially used or stored or saved for this scraping. So seeing this um, message come up from ArtStation, sorry, I'm not, I'm not too versed in it. So I'm curious, like when you see something where they say, okay, it can't be scraped anymore. Are you reading when you're reading it, since you've been kind of analyzing this stuff, are you seeing it as everything from now on or because it's too late or like, do you have a, cause I don't have an understanding of like how they can actually prevent that. I don't know if you know. Um, so basically, um, once, once AI has been trained with something, it can't be untrained. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's there for good. Right. And there's been a lot of argument back and forth on how, how information is being stored. People are like, Oh, there's no, there's no um, official server. So the information is not uh, retained. Right. It's a little bit of a mystery right now, but like um, I might be I might be incorrect. But from what I've been reading, um, there's something called latent space, right? I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's basically like a little black box where all the diffusion and, and data points are at, including all the trained data. Sorry, my cat's jumping on me. Um, <laughs> and basically, um, you know, this is where images get um, broken down into noise, into diffusion, and then get you know reassembled into the generative image right and the argument is that this latent space where these images are floating around uh retain information right mm -hmm. and somebody somebody has recently done a test where they just typed in as a prompt uh, mona lisa um and you know it would generate all different types of mona lisas right and they all looked they were all different but they all basically looked very close to the original mona lisa which is still in the latent space um black box right so the thing is, we uh, there's no way to untrain this information. So even say like you take off artist's name out of the out of the AI generation programs, like you take a Greg Rakowski's name, it doesn't matter because it, it's already been trained on it. So you have to reset uh, the, the data sets or, or reset and start over again with ethical um, data being like you know um, mm -hmm. public domain images, um, stock free images, royalty free images. Or images where artists have opted to uh, opted their own art um, yeah. by by choice and consent. I wonder how likely this is going to be. I mean, it is an interesting world where, in when you imagine what ethical AI for the visual space looks like in the future, how, how are you seeing it? Are you seeing it as a? It's almost like people are selling their artwork to be used in the main database, or do you see them getting royalties because someone pulls it? I, I know this is like, it's all about to potentially be made. It, hopefully, if we're lucky, right, it's going to be made in, uh, in a certain way uh, past this lawsuit to maybe allow a little bit more like cr credibility, a little bit less theft. But how do you imagine it uh, working like in a perfect best case scenario? Um. There are definitely a couple of different ways. Um, the first one would be something akin to like the Spotify um, formula, where basically every time your name or your images are used in a generative, you get a royalty of some kind, right? And uh, that would definitely have to be a higher percentage than the Spotify percentage, because from what I've researched, um, it's that you get 0.04% off of a million streams for a mm -hmm. musician, right? And if you break that down, that's that's about forty three hundred dollars for a million streams, which is insane, right? And if you yeah. have those same percentages for an artist, you will starve. 
because there's no way anyone is downloading or clicking our images a million times, right? Like n none of us are Lady Gaga, unfortunately. Um, so it would have to be a much higher percentage, right? And since it's our own our own images, I would I would only settle for like eighty percent or higher, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that that's just me being um, uh, like vicious, but also like just advocating for for us. Um, and the other model would be companies allowing people to opt in their own art to train off of to create like generatives um, variations of an asset, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's say if you wanted to create. 30 different types of a special potion a blizzard style potion right off of like Ilya's style right yeah, yeah. Then, then you would like draw a couple of those paint them and then maybe you type in oh like i want like a poison variation i want like a mystical a dark magic variation right and that that would be your own art that's trained so that might be uh more ethical right mm. and the other ones are i can definitely see people like selling their their body of work almost as like stock like maybe you sell a package of your stuff for like twenty thousand dollars to a company and then they they give you a percentage off of that but they also give you an upfront right hmm. but um i think I, I think we're gonna have to really be united on this as a community and figure out what ethical art looks like to us right because for someone um their their version of being ethical would be to sell their art for twenty thousand uh, twenty thousand dollars and then to let the company run amok with their art uh in perpetuity right Whereas mm -hmm. they would kind of screw everybody else over. So we need to get together and decide what is ethical for the community, not just the individual. And uh, would you say, like, when you think of kind of potential dangers here, are you seeing like the erasing of careers, lack of careers? Like what, you know, if, if you were to frame like what people should, like why they should take it seriously and worry about it, um, how, how would you put that? Um, I would I would say this this totally has the potential to eradicate the industry, if if left unregulated and unchecked, and it also has the potential to destroy a lot of other industries outside of entertainment and art. You know, it can destroy chefs, you know, YouTube content makers. It can destroy lawyers, writers, um, reporters, right? Um, and we already started seeing the potential of you know deep fakes. You know, the last thing we want is this technology getting into the political realm and start spreading like false propaganda and start influencing elections uh, based on the propaganda. And the last thing we also want to see is um, journalism and articles being released that have a bias, right? Mm. Like obviously every article we, we read is biased right now, but all data collected from the internet is all based on human bias, right? Like if we looked at this um, program that got released uh, called Lenza, you've probably heard of it, right? Actually, it's, haven't. Actually, no. Maybe I might be. Yeah, go through. So basically, it's this program that turns your picture, like your profile pictures, into like an art version, oh, yeah, a yeah, stylized yeah. version of your profile picture, right? Um, it's been found that people have been, especially women, have started getting uh, images back of them with you know large breasts or sexualized in some way, even though they just inputted their faces, right? Mm -hmm. And all of this data, uh, all, all of these generative. Um, information is coming from the lion 5b database which is where um, stable diffusion is drawing their data from right and since it's collecting straight from the internet without curation it also inherits the bias of people who post on the internet right mm. so like just say for example you type in the word asian you mm. wouldn't get you know just like a person like me or like an uh, asian person walking down the street you would get lots of um like pornography Mm. Like, Jap like Japanese pornography, because that is the bias of the internet. 
And that is what it spits out when you use programs that are monetizing off of this information that's uncurated. Because I don't know if you're aware, but this information was only, it was designed to be um, for research only. Hmm. Um, Stability AI got $101 million in seed funding to develop this as a research project, but then through, you know, questionable methods of data laundering, it got out there, got commercialized. And now we're seeing people generating images that are coming back with a very questionable content. You know, there was an, there was also an article published by Wired Magazine, I can link to you later. Mm-hmm. But this girl, um, like basically Lenza is not supposed to be able to generate pictures of children, right? Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be able to do that. But this this woman typed in, typed in some prompts and was able to generate like nude um, child weird images right and it's also been found like a lot of people have started to create their own child uh you know stuff of course internet why yeah the the internet will do what the internet does but again this is the danger of monetizing information that has not been curated because it's unfiltered it's biased and it's troubling and i guess like a very accelerated echo chamber or like millions of echo chambers like within this like and i guess certain like dark spaces and maybe just to draw like to wrap uh, wrap this point up uh the connection you make to whether it's like deep fakes or where you, whether you're talking about articles being written and why you're saying uh why this kind of fight is important is it because you're you're thinking this will make a stance and make all the other potential like uh, avenues of ai use illegal through that or are you is it, is it going to set up a press precedent? I'm just trying to see the connection of, you know, uh, using AI art and using images from other people and scraping it versus like articles, for example. Where do you see the connection there and how that, that can snowball? I think they're all connected. And I think that, um, you know, unfortunately, art is the first line of defense in this whole argument. You know, if courts don't regulate this kind of technology, it's going to cascade and it's going to affect, you know, like everything we just talked about, like, you know, news, um, you know, other industries, you know, journalism and all that. So we need to like regulate, um, we need to regulate this technology, you know, in our favor to set up uh, future laws because this will this is a universal global issue actually, mm-hmm. and right right now like a lot of the copyright issues that we're seeing with this, um, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought here. But basically, the the program Lenza that that kind of blew this whole thing open is kind of making people aware of where this technology is headed if, if left unregulated. Hmm. <laughs> so, and actually, yeah, it's, the more you talk about it, the more, yeah, the more scary it gets. And I think it's interesting how it can be very under the radar for uh, an average person. Um, but this is this is why I feel it's so important to talk about this because um, it, it's not just an art problem. And a lot of people who aren't fully educated on this uh, topic just write it off as it's a bunch of artists crying over stolen art, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and like, yes, we are complaining about stolen art and it is affecting our industry, but it's also going to affect their jobs. And, you know, if you listen to the um, discussion that Proko had on YouTube with um, another AI specialist, I think his name was Evan, mm-hmm. basically a lot of AI specialists will drop the word utopia. I don't know if you've heard this term before, but basically they are they are hoping that um, AI will automate all of our jobs so that we can go on and just not worry about capi- uh, capitalism and live as free humans in this free society known as a utopia, right? And they also, they also mention UBI, like universal basic income a lot, yeah. right? And like they're saying like, you know, we need to implement 
um, AI and everything so that everybody can have universal basic income and be happy, right? So that's that's their point of view, which is you know somewhat altruistic, but just ultimately um, flawed, right? Because no government is set up to handle massive UBI at, at the rate that th this technology is uh, advancing. Yeah, you know? and I suppose there's countries doing it, but it's like I think capitalism is not meant to do that, and no, and, you know, Bezos is not going to start sharing his income all of a sudden. So I, no. the unfortunate reality of this like unhinged capitalism, which is a whole other conversation, is yeah, it's not set up for like because it's like that dream basically. No, and like you know, to me it doesn't sound like utopia when the CEOs of these AI generation companies will be pocketing billions of dollars, right? That to me is not a utopia. That that is just blind capitalism where everybody loses except a couple people at the top, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, it's just it's just very confusing to me how a lot of people are buying into this utopia, UBI um, talking <laughs> point. Because to me, I just, I don't think a lot of governments are really are ready to handle UBI. And I don't think a lot of governments are ready to handle massive unemployment, you know, homelessness and, and all this other stuff. Especially when, they, yeah, I, I, yeah, when basic issues can be handled by certain like you know variety of governments countries like that that's too big of a thing to handle if you know sometimes like you know let's bring up vancouver homelessness i don't know if oh. you want to name what or la it's like if those things can't be figured out yeah good luck with anything else beyond this that, that's what i'm saying dude like just look around right look at look at vancouver you know look at uh, east hastings look at skid row in la and you know look yep. at uh, a lot of parts in new york city chinatown if if our governments can't even put our heads uh, their heads together to solve you know, the homeless issue we have right now, imagine that times, you know, 7 billion. Yeah. Right. We are not ready to automate. We, we have to make sure everyone is employed so that they can live and continue contributing to society. All the sci-fi books you read are true. Blade Runner is a real thing. <laughs> I know, you know, dude, I, I love Blade Runner. You know, I've always wanted to be in that world, but uh, not, not now. <laughs> not like that. Not like, not like that. this. Not like yeah, this. Yeah. No. I was going to Harry Potter world instead. I'm curious if yeah. you, uh, one thing I was wondering, and I, again, I, I've only started looking at a little bit, uh, in the photographer realm, cause I, yeah. you know, the stock photos, that's always been a thing, a little bit more mm -hmm. regulated, I suppose, than because I guess it creates revenue streams. So, you know, most photography websites you go on, there's a section where you can buy these photos and there's a section which like these artists own their photos and mm -hmm. you could also buy them if you <clears> wanted <throat> to. So that space felt like it, it had a little bit more maybe safeguards in place. Have you, do you know much about that? Cause technically like you could be generating realistic images again as well by scraping all, any ph photography website. Has there been not, I'm hoping that you, you have your kind of radar and everything, but I don't know if you've seen anything uh, in that uh, world. I mean, I'm not too familiar with the photography scene, but you know, there was the Getty lawsuit that was announced uh, just the day after ours, I think a day or two. Oh, nice. Oh, were you not aware of that? uh no uh, that's very reassuring uh, okay um yeah let's let's just go and google it in real time just okay. look up um let's, let's find it. getty image lawsuit i'm very glad i'm talking to you i gotta do more <laughs> research it's okay dude it's it's so much information it's so much oh yeah getty images seeing creators of ai art tool stable diffusion yep so it's the same one of the same defendants as the artist's um defendants lawsuits mm. stability ai that's a big one and it, it's the same it draws from the same uh, database the line 5b database mm. do you do you see yourself using ai in the future um you know i asked myself this too because i'm like i'm a terrible background painter and would i <laughs> would i would i use this um not in its current form no 
you know, and ethically, I would just, I would rather, like me personally, I would just hire some friends to paint because I love working with people and I love seeing people paint things that draw from their experiences and something that I can't prompt or imagine myself. And also I just respect craftsmen, you know, and, and, I, and I don't want to rip anybody off. That being said, like, I know that, you know, not everybody is an artist and other people will want to pay, you know, like $30 a month to generate 300 images or whatever. And, and they, they'll continue to do that unless, you know, regulated and, and, uh, and checked. And even if it is regulated, uh, someone who has spent years learning how to make artwork, does it defeat the purpose for you or no? Like, uh, as in, let's say it's regulated and you, you pay a membership on some website and yeah, now you can make backgrounds for your comic book that you dream about. And otherwise, if you had to do it on your own, you know, it'll take you five years, but maybe you could bring that down to one year and ultimately you end up telling a story that you love, which is maybe your final goal. Do you see that as a realistic scenario or does it kind of kill something within that process for you? Um, I think it kind of kills something for me. Like, like I, I, I would probably just try to do the backgrounds myself, to be honest, just so I learn more as a craftsman. Yeah. You know, but that's, it's, it's a different motivation for me. It's like, do you want to get the thing done or do you want to get the thing done and learn something? Right. Mm. And like, it really, to me, it's, a, it's such a tricky question. Cause it's like, what, what does ethical AI look like? Right. And depending on how you answer that question, it could be a yes or no. If, you know, if I would use it or not, like, I think yeah. if it was a world where like, you know, I learned how to paint some backgrounds and then I fed it into a machine to replicate my style. Uh, but for other backgrounds, then maybe, right? But if, if it were to replicate, you know, your style or another background artist's style or environmental artist's style without their consent, then I absolutely would not use it. Yeah. I feel like I, I often have these questions, and I think a lot of artists likely do the separation of career versus personal development versus personal satisfaction, growth, meaning, pursuit, again, versus making money. And there's nothing wrong with making money. We all need yeah. it. And sometimes yeah. those reasons even how we started this podcast, right? Talking about putting artwork on Instagram to get a job or putting artwork on Instagram because you made a painting of an apple, you know, the, uh, the versus, as in, sorry, I meant like for personal uh, reasons. And those always exist. And I feel like what this is going to create, even if, and I, I'm hoping that there, the situation clears up, but this is going to force more of this question for people to make a clear separation potentially for career or money-making versus art-making or personal growth because it is now you know it now opens the door to creating without going through the hard work of either getting good or gaining knowledge and one thing i wanted to ask you at the start actually but we can do it now is for again for people going to art school right now for students potentially about to embrace for a six-year education to you know become a concept artist storyboard artist or, you know, we were talking about people writing essays and clicking a button, you know, it opens yeah. a, this door that didn't exist or didn't exist, you know, like you could have hired, you know, paid your classmate to make homework for you. It's kind of right, basically right. equivalent of that, but now it's a lot easier to do so. What would you like? I don't know, maybe imagine yourself in that situation. Like, what would you want to hear? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I actually get asked. Yeah, totally. This is such a great question because um, um, I, I know personally that like, art leads and art directors are, are still looking to hire people that can draw because those people need to be able to take specific direction, make uh, decisions on the fly. 
right? And let's say, for example, um, to get to get more specific, let's say you're an AI uh, prompter, right? And somehow you land a job in a in a concept art, uh, like a, in a game industry, right? And then you have to do some concept art. Let's say your task is to to design, uh, you know, a quote unquote badass woman on a on a yellow motorcycle with a samurai sword, right? Mm -hmm. You generate that image, but then all of a sudden you have to do specific tweaks, like, oh, you know what? I love the face. Keep the face. I love the motorcycle, but make her arm a mechanical arm. Change the nose. Instead of a samurai sword, give her like like a 15th century medieval sword, and then turn the motorcycle wheel this way, right? And then what will end up happening is that person will generate those things with the new nose, but it'll be an entirely new image, right? And then the art director yeah. will be like, okay, but I wanted the last thing just with these couple tweaks, right? So, I mean, um, I've even heard uh, there's another art director on Twitter. I forgot his name right now. But he said that his job has become harder. Like his, uh, art director's jobs and recruiter's jobs have become harder because they now have to sift through AI portfolios that are mm. useless, useless to them, right? Yeah, yeah. Because these people can't, they, they can't handle revisions or original designs um, on the fly, right? And also they're using images that are copyrighted, right? And just say if we were to do an, an art book for the game, right? <laughs> now you have copyrighted art in your art book, which opens up the company to illegal issues, right? Yeah. I will say this, though. Um, you know, people have DM'd me who worked for smaller uh game companies and you know mobile game companies or indie game companies and a lot of these guys there they are using unethical ai f to do concept art right because they don't think they're going to be caught but mm. it doesn't change the fact that you know the laws are still catching up with the technology and right now we're having a lot more conversations on what is legal what's uh what's legal what's not legal what's ethical what's not ethical but i i feel like the growing conversation in the public eye is kind of gearing towards more our point of view because now they're starting to see where this data came from how it was taken without consent and how it's being monetized right and i think if a lot of these smaller game companies start releasing products um with stolen art and you know the lawsuit settles the way it's gonna settle they could potentially get into a lot of um problems and they need to be thinking about the long term rather than the short term I yeah. like you know for a lot of uh, art hopefuls out there you know keep doing art keep doing it because you love it there's still a place for, the, for you in the industry and you know art directors and recruiters are actively looking for people who are still skilled and talented and don't forget if we are ever in a place where we're implementing ai ethically in the industry um we still need people that can draw right because yeah. like you know a lot of like um, AI prompters who are kind of pooping on artists and everything, they don't they, <laughs> they don't realize that, you know, if we wanted to, we could pick this up and prompt in no time, right? Yeah, for we sure. Draw, we can draw, we can do our jobs, and we can do any everything they can do, but they can't do what we do, right? So yeah. let's say, like, tomorrow, you know, our art directors came in and were like, guys, AI is now ethical, so now we can start implementing AI in our pipelines, right? Mm -hmm. We would still be drawing, but we would also be prompting as well. Right, mm -hmm. and you would so, have to draw. It's like it, it's what you're saying, and I. Something I was telling my coworkers uh, is, is that everyone who's worked with the client know that you, sometimes you're going to turn the head five percent, change the hue ten percent, and you know maybe have one yes. eye needs to be closed a little bit, and then you know the headphones in your head are you know the minute uh, minute detail that need to be changed, as you mentioned earlier with your example of like 
that's something that's not going to go away. It's always going to be there and you're going to have to be there to make those adjustments. So those, those jobs exist and will continue to do so. Yeah. Of course. Also, you know, layers, <laughs> layers, <laughs> layers are still a thing, right? Like how often do you just like submit, like, like just flatten everything you've ever done and then, and then not worry about notes, right? Like, no, no. Our artists, see, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is like the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? People, people think art is easy when they don't know anything about art, right? The more mm-hmm. you know about something, the more you know you don't know, yeah. right? It's like, if I if I said I wanted to learn how to skateboard um, today, and I got on a skateboard, and maybe I can roll down the sidewalk, I'd be like, oh my god, skateboarding is easy, right? <laughs> but the, like, if you look at someone like Tony Hawk, who, who did like the 900, he's been skateboarding for what, 20, 30 years? He'll tell you it's hard as shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and actually one thing I was wondering uh do you find uh, because do you find that storyboarding is a little bit safer from all this even if when it becomes um if AI, you know becomes implemented to me it feels like because storyboarding is such raw like it's raw ideas sometimes they don't have to be drawn the best way and like some amazing storyboarders I, artists I know they just scribble but the point is not that the point is to convey as you're saying composition emotion feel you know there's so much that, but it's done and often in such a crude way that to me it feels like such a human like it's a very very human thing to get it right and so much of it is feeling and pacing and imagining lenses mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like that that is always in some ways going to be safe or sacred um I, I firmly believe that nothing is sacred <laughs> at this current point, but I will say that um, I do feel like oh, fuck, I don't, I don't want to like jinx myself here, but I, I feel like storyboarding is a little bit safer, especially if you can draw faster than people can prompt, right? <laughs> right? Think, think about this. Like if you you know if you look at the storyboard for um, what's that movie? Uh, Parasite. You know, mm-hmm. um, the storyboards are like they're very crude. But the blocking is is amazing, right? And the you know different um, compositions and the storytelling they have, and like you know you can you can draw down co- uh, people sitting uh, in a certain way faster than someone can be like, uh, okay, five people in a Chinese restaurant inspired by Martin Scorsese with a fi- fifty-five millimeter lens, and then there's a reverse shot of, of an over-the-shoulder um, uh, Roger Deakins. You know what I mean? By that time, I've already drawn it and moved on to the next frame. So yeah, and like you know like drawing is very specific you know it's it might not look always beautiful but if you can nail down the idea fast then it wins right like mm-hmm. same thing same thing when i was storyboarding in blizzard there, there was a there was a time where i was like very obsessed with like making this thing look amazing right and mm-hmm. then some of my teammates would just draw something that was more crude but had better composition and then they would win right some yeah it, it's it's best idea wins and like if if rendering an image allows you to sell your idea then the valid right is valid mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you're if what you're selling is composition lenses character motivation or character um state of mind with crude drawings you win so yeah. it, it's all about intent it's all very good to hear yep uh <laughs> storyboarding yeah. everybody just get into it <laughs> i mean even if you're not going to storyboard you should get into it if you're a visual artist i think oh for sure yeah. kind of what you're describing about comic books is the same thing in storyboards is the it, it forces you to think about that intent in some ways it's like uh just another kind of gym weightlifting for artists like live drawing is you, mm. it may not hurt uh, to do that that that's a that's a good uh, analogy or metaphor like uh, yeah. gym gym training <laughs> yeah um 
I think I'm gonna have to wrap this up in a little bit just because I think we're uh, I think one hour I found is usually a good a good, <laughs> yeah, a good, yeah. good size podcast for people to digest. Uh, what are you most excited about these days uh, uh, in the art world? What comes to mind? Um, I just love storytelling. You know, I never not to, not to beat a dead horse, but I love storyboarding. You know, I never get sick of it. There are always new stories to tell. There are always new ways to tell it. And there's always um, ways to learn more about writing, you know, uh, writing, directing. And I, I'm looking forward to the day where I can direct and lead a team and just learn as much from them as they learn from me, hopefully. And, and you know, just like help guide a team of extraordinary artists to go towards one amazing vision. Uh, I, I'm just excited about community all the time. And to me, art is about the people. And that's that's what excites me the most. 100%. And, and it sounds like you... you... Well, my my sense of it, although uh, it, kind of seeing your work and hearing your name pop up, I feel like you must not be too far from uh, achieving that dream. I think a lot of people like your work. It seems like a lot of people trust you and people who worked with you really like that experience. So I hope you're on the right track. I can't wait to see what that looks like. Me too. I, I hope I'm on the right track too, man. Like, <laughs> who knows? You know, I'll, I'll let you know in a couple of years. So sounds good. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to. Uh, pay t- I mean, I'll try to through you. I guess I'm gonna have to keep paying attention to this uh, the saga and where uh, the courts are going. I, I feel like I'm f- seeing, as you're mentioning at the start, I'm seeing more people, more artists being vocal about it, but also being involved. I hope um, I hope we can get more re- resolution for it. And I, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is something that I would love to even catch up. Maybe in a, in a couple of months, maybe it will be worth doing another episode on this because I feel like. It, it certainly feels like it's only starting and only developing. Even the fact that, like you and I, just got this email from our station like less than a day ago. Uh, I imagine there's going to be more companies following that lead, especially when we, you know, once like Art Station is a, owned by Epic, right? And so I'm assuming yeah. that's a big turn for that well, whole for, entity. For sure. I mean, like, um, like this, this thing is always evolving every day which is why it's so hard for me to you know just like focus because like there's so much new information that's constantly coming out and new new viewpoints from different companies um i will say that you know on the art side of things um spectrum fantasy magazine has come out and basically said we're going to support ours we're not going to do any ai we're going to stick with you know um real paintings from now on um you know kickstarter has come out with a statement recently because they they turned down a, a, a campaign called unstable diffusion you probably heard of that Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, man, it's been so many. My brain's kind of racking right now. It's okay. We'll we'll tell people to go to your like LinkedIn, or Instagram, and they'll find more information. Yeah, yeah, there's, 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 there's lots definitely more. a lot to keep up with. Um, I'm just gonna have a couple more questions for you. Uh, and we can I usually I try to leave them for the end. Uh, what artists must everyone know about? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, fucking hell. Um, okay, I don't, I don't know. I hope this counts. Like Satoshi Khan, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, director of Paprika, Perfect Blue. Um, mm-hmm. I think he, I think he was an animator or storyboard artist on Magnetic Rose for Memories. Like, I highly recommend everyone check out the anthology, the anime anthology called Memories from 1995. It's phenomenal. Um, other artists you need to follow. God. Uh, well, Greg Rudkowski. You know, who's who's been who's been getting the short end of the stick on this one, but poor guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, poor guy. But dude, his art's phenomenal, freaking phenomenal. Um, I mean, he's yeah. iconic. I think or his work is iconic. That's why it has been so sought out in the AI prompt land. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll just say, okay, Greg Rakowski, Sam Yang, 
um, Carlo Ortiz, you know, Sarah Anderson, Kelly, Kelly McCarron, uh, um, and who else? Well, who, who are some of your favorite artists right now? Uh, you have to throw it back at me. Usually, yeah, <laughs> I, I understand why that, that is such a difficult question. Uh, I still, the, the graphic sense and the color use and overall compositions of Alberto Miogo, I think generally oh, yeah. stand um, out. Hmm. Every once in a while, I try to make a folder of just like simplify it down to, let's say, 10, 20 artworks that feel like the direction I want to pursue. And I think generally he uh, pops up in there. Man, and there's a... There's there's quite a bit. I, I not very good with names. I'm gonna to try to see if I can find. Um, there's an illustrator that I've been really, really liking recently. Uh, anyways, maybe it, it may take too long. Although I feel like those, these names should be on, on the top of my head, shouldn't they? <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, but there's a lot of. I'm trying to figure out. I feel like usually uh, lately, I'm fi- trying to find a way where I can like the, the exposure to art that I have. I can try to not limit it, but maybe direct it a little bit more so that I know where I'm gonna head. Because I mm-hmm. find sometimes it is. Uh, uh, after you're seeing so much cool artwork, it's almost like too easy to get lost in the noise of it. Um, totally, then, dude. Yeah, and then you're like, I don't, I don't even know where. Well, you know, out of all the things that, that I've seen and I love, and I don't know if you have that, but I, I kind of get distracted by so much cool art and variety that can be taken that it's harder to actually then figure out what you're going to sit down and draw because so many things are enticing. For sure. I mean, like this, this goes back to the whole inspiration conversation again, right? But it's like you have to like have an idea of where you want your career to go and what kind of projects you want to work on. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could always draw from a couple um, artists for inspiration. I use that word inspiration um, yeah. to, to kind of gear your art style to Right. And like, I remember like, you know, one day I, I would be like, Oh, you know, I really love um, the way Chris Copeland draws this, but I also really love the way that Ashley Wood draws this. Right. Yeah. And then you're, you end up just drawing different styles on different days. And you're like, who am I? <laughs> like, <laughs> who am I as an artist? Right. So it's like, yeah, just just gotta sit down, like you know, figure out what kind of um, projects or you know movies or styles speak to you um, as as an artist and a, as a person, and what you can relate to as well, yeah. right? And then, you know, like you said, pick four or five. And but that, that separation for myself, I don't know about you, but that separation for myself is tricky of being like, here's all the cool things that I love, and then here's and then here's what I love to do, and I think they're so connected, but you can't help but be influenced, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that influence should be allowed in and then, or how much it should be influenced by your personal life. Cause in the end, nothing is more unique to you than your personal life. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're not seeing dinosaurs around you every day. So like, no. so what is, what is that supposed to look like? If you're going to make a painting that's as close and as uniquely to yourself, I mean, maybe it's a painting every room cause nobody else has that room like you do and you don't see the same way you do. And I'm just curious how to translate that into, okay, here's a skeleton you know, but how is it that I, I show it through myself? And I think on the topic of AI and things being replicated and meshed, I think that ability to be unique in your own way is more and more valuable every day. Um, or, I mean, I think it generally is, you know, you want to try to get good enough and practice and copy and study until you can be yourself. Right. I, I hope that that's for a lot of artists. That's where that path is. Cause I think that personal, uh, taste, and reflection and interpretation is what makes your artwork different and unique and appealing compared to another person, right? Oh, for sure. Um, so I'm, it's a preamble of like why, where I want to go with it. Uh, the artist I was just mentioning, the illustrator I've really been admiring um, is Ji Hoon Lee. 
I hope I'm saying it correctly. It's a person from South Korea. Um, they don't sell art, artwork for Dota, I think, and a couple of other ones, but it's really beautiful. I'll drop a couple of links. I'll try to uh, get some links from our conversation in the chat, but something sure. about their their form and the way they're ex executing is really awesome. And then a couple more that come to mind right now is uh, Zor and Velvet, Matt Velvet. They're, uh, I, don't, I don't think I know them. They're street artists. They do murals and fine art, but they're, oh, wow. again, I think... Maybe I'm drawn to more kind of solid shapes and graphic designs uh, represented through like paintings and landscapes. Oh, I'll, cool. I'll send you some links. They're, they're super. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I, please I'm do. Impressed every time. Okay, and last question for you: uh, What adv advice would you have for your younger self before you went to university? So before you went to OCAD. Um. Hmm. Uh, don't go to OCAD. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like joking, but I'm also not. Um, let's see. Advice for people myself. who are going to OCAD right now. Why you should probably explain. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty. Sad. Okay. Well, I don't want to get sued for for defamation or anything, but um, I'll just <laughs> say that um, before you go to an, or an art school, um, the most important thing to do um, is to look at um, employment rates from schools, mm -hmm. right? And um, you know, if you if you talk to people from Sheridan, I would say ninety percent of them are are employable, and ninety percent of them have been employed to some varying degree. And a lot of you know my favorite artists on Instagram, I, I ended up finding out that they were from Sheridan. You know, it was <laughs> completely like by coincidence, right? I yeah. mean, there are there are some phenomenal artists that that have come out of OCAD and, and other um, other art schools too, but it usually takes a bit more like. Um, like suffering in order to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, like, um, you know, Emily Carr, I think um, Jeff Simpson came out of Emily Carr. Yeah. Right. And um, I just know that he's someone who's just like busted his ass and has just yeah. like gone through, gone through the ringer to, to get to the level he has. And like, it, I guess to some degree, it kind of does matter what school you go to because you want to be around the right um, vibe in the right mm -hmm. environment that will like, um, prepare you for the kind of pressures and stuff you have to you have to be prepared for yeah so so i would say yeah just look at look at success rates for yeah, sure that's it that's really good advice jeff was on a, pod, a podcast and i would say and maybe i've mentioned it before people who come out of emily Carr and are able to get a job in the industry it's not because of emily Carr. no it's because and maybe again i, I shouldn't throw so much hate on the car it's just like they they may educate in in various fields really well but you know concept art and entertainment field yet i don't think it's you know maybe to a level that of sheridan and so uh, all that is to say is not to knock the school but rather to give compliment to the artists who are able to come out of that school mm. and get those jobs that just means they worked so much harder than likely your average person that's actually that's actually such a great point that i wanted to touch on too is that um you know, the art school that I went to that will not be named. Um, basically, basically, you know, they were very against um, comic book art, concept art, storyboarding. They were very against all, all forms of entertainment art, right? Wow. And at the time, they were, like, very much preaching, you know, a career in editorial illustration, right? <laughs> like, we're talking about covers for magazines that are defunct. In what happened to right? that industry? Um, it, well, look at AI. That's what, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like, you need to be going to, um, okay, here, here's, here's the advice I would give to myself. Look at statistics for schools, but also ask your instructors if they are still currently in, 
in the field if they are currently still in the industry. And that mm -hmm. is so important. You you want to be going to a school where the instructors are very busy. This is only their side gig, and they're too busy, um, you know, killing it in the industry, right? Yeah. Because I remember when I when I took a video game um, design class, like our class uh, where you kind of learn to make video games. We didn't really learn much, and then on the last day of the class before we before we all departed, I asked my instructor um, what game company he worked for. He said he's never been in the game industry. Never worked on any games. Hmm. He had he had a PhD in English, and he read a book on video games, and that's how he's teaching the course for video game design. Man, that should be illegal. It should be illegal. And like when I found that out, that was the last day of that class, and I already I already had spent the whole semester designing this game based on things that this guy read out of a book. Well, yeah, that is sad, especially knowing that how quickly the industry moves and mm -hmm. the amount of changes, but also like the personal experiences that matter for anyone who's worked uh, uh, at any art job, you know, you know that what the, you, and not to say that things are not useful to you in school, but the, the direct information and lessons that are, you discover through working are incredible. Yeah. yeah That's really good. Thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> All good. John, thanks so much for your time. Uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Thanks for fighting the fight. I'm gonna get myself further educated after this. Uh, I hope we get to chat about this again and hopefully one day about more art things and where you're gonna take your personal project. I, I still have a lot of questions about that. I'm curious about your career. You've been at a lot of studios, so uh, there's certainly a lot more to touch upon. So uh, hopefully we'll find the time, but otherwise for now, um, again, thanks so much. And do you wanna let people know how they can find you? Sure. Um, and you know, that being said, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. This has been a lot of fun. We can grab coffee sometime or whatever. Yeah, um, and um, okay, so people can reach me at Instagram, where I I blab the most. There, it's uh, mm -hmm. John Lamb Art. Um, you know, what Instagram.com slash John Lamb Art, um, and LinkedIn also John Lamb Art. So, you know, see me there. See me blab on Twitter as well. Same handle. And for people who want to see your artwork, I was I found I did find your website, but I think it was an unexpected name. Yes, it's a droid, <laughs> droidbrush.carbonmade.com. That is a mouthful. Um, that is like, that's mainly where I just put some stuff for like uh, professional portfolios. It's uh, mainly storyboards and some designs here and there. But yeah, definitely check it out as well. It's worth looking into. For people listening, you should go there. And I'll put it on a link because, uh, man, so you're a great storyboard artist, but your character designs are amazing too so it's no well, wonder you. that you're doing both uh so much appeal and really great sense of shape uh yeah so for for people listening do check it out um so yeah thanks again to john and thanks so much for listening uh hopefully more on the topic coming up and as always really appreciate you checking this out have a thanks good one so much. Yeah,